A listener note, this podcast deals with adult topics and is not suitable for young listeners. The Ohio Domestic Violence Network reported that from July 2017 to June 2018, there were 91 fatalities attributed to domestic violence. In 22% of the deaths, children were at the scene. And in 46% of the fatalities, the victim had ended the relationship or was in the process of ending it. According to the Ohio Attorney General's Office, in 2018, there were over 75,000 domestic violence calls to the police. In today's episode, I'm sharing the tragic story of Judy Malinowski, an Ohio woman who had already beat cancer, but ultimately lost her life at the hands of domestic violence. I'm Brooke Binkley. This is the Murder Podcast, and this is her story. Judy Malinowski was an Ohio mother of two preteen girls. In 2006, at just 27 years old, Judy was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, a diagnosis that would forever change the course of her life. After undergoing a full hysterectomy to get rid of the cancer, she was prescribed pain medication, and she would later tell prosecutors about what happened next. And uh, tell me what happened as a result of those uh, complications from the surgery. I was placed on very strong painkillers, Oxycontin, uh, and Percocet. I got addicted to them. Then when I ran out of insurance and couldn't go back to the doctor to get the medicine, uh, my addiction turned into a heroin addiction. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, is it fair to say that you became an addict to uh, illegal drugs? Yes. By 28 years old, Judy says that she was addicted to illegal drugs and battled that addiction for many years. Eventually, she went into rehab where she not only overcame her addiction, but found that her cancer was officially in remission as well. Judy's mom, Bonnie, said, We'd always been close and spoke every day. I was so glad she'd recovered from her addiction and was getting her life back together. But in April 2015, Judy started dating a man named Michael Slager. Bonnie said that she was pleased to see her daughter happy, but that she had a bad feeling about Mike. As the relationship progressed, Judy would eventually tell her mom about how controlling Mike had become and saying that he had even put a tracking device on her phone. It was at that point that Judy had decided to end the relationship, but Mike just wouldn't let go. She tried to go to the police over the tracking device, but she was told that there wasn't anything that they could do. She would later testify about her relationship with Mike. I would like to begin by your initial contact with Michael Slager. Okay. I believe that happened in 2007. Would that sound about right? Yeah. At that time... Uh, Michael was, had been injured in a car accident. You recall that? I met him after that. Right. And he was staying uh, with a person named Melissa Pearsall. Do you recall that? Yes. 
And Melissa, how do you know Melissa? Um, she also has a child by my uh, daughter's father. Okay. Ron Malinowski, is that your husband? That's correct. Yes. Okay. And Melissa has a child by him, correct? Yes. Okay, I got you. Are you still currently married to Ron? Yes. And at that time, in 2007, did you and Michael Slager become friends? Um, I, I guess we were all kind of that clicked together, yeah. Okay. Okay. It was a group of us. And then, after a number of months, uh, I think you and, and Ron Malinowski had a falling out. Is that fair to say? He cheated on me, yes. And you found out about it? Through Mike. Through Mike, okay. Yes. And after that point, you two, your relationship developed into a more physical relationship. Is that fair to say? Um, not really. Mike said that he had always had feelings for me and professed that he loved me, but he was also dating friends of mine, and I was also pregnant. So no, there was nothing really physical other than maybe some cuddling or hugging. Okay. During the time, shortly after that, so we're clear, Michael Slager went to prison, did he, did he not? Before he went to prison, you and Michael and this little clique, uh, you were snorting Percocets and, and Oxycontins or Oxycodones, correct? Correct. And was this before or after your ovarian cancer? About the same time. But, but you had indicated that you started on pain pills as a result of the medical procedure you had. Yes. It would be more accurate to say you were already involved in using illicit and illegal drugs? It was definitely after that. Okay. So before ovarian cancer? It was after. All right. Fair enough. And then sometime in 2014, you reconnected with Mr. Slager. Is that correct? Yes. He sent me a message on Facebook. Well, did you not send a message to Miss Amy Wicks through Facebook? trying to reach out to Mr. Slager? No, I, Mr. Slager reached out to me first. Okay. All right. At that time, he was dating somebody named Michelle Strasberry. Is that correct? No, I did not talk to him. Michelle had already been deceased when I met, when I met up with Michael. She had died from a heroin overdose, is your understanding? At that time, you were living up in New Albany, is that right? Yes, I was clean and I had my own apartment and I had my kids. Okay, were you employed at that time? No, I was getting social security disability. Okay, and the nature of your disability, if I may ask? Um, well, my cancer and some other things. Can I, can I ask what the other things are? Um, just some mental problems that I was battling. 
from my past. And was your income from Social Security disability sufficient to pay the rent and the food and everything at that apartment? Um, it covered the rent and a little, a little bit of, or maybe a little bit of the utilities. My mom helped out the rest. Okay. In, I'm going to move to March of 2015. Okay. Uh, paramedics were called to your apartment, is that correct? Yeah. And was that a result of you having a bad reaction to some drugs that you had taken? No, it was a result of my calling my mom, telling him, telling her that he wouldn't, I wouldn't open the door for him and he was afraid I was going to commit suicide. And I wasn't opening the door for him because we were fighting horrible. The minute I went on a first date with Michael, he never left my house after that or my time. Okay. So it's, it's your time. Just, I apologize, Ms. Malinowski. I just want to make sure I understand this correctly. So the paramedics did, did or did not treat you for what appeared to be an overdose of drugs at that time? Objection. Okay. And it was Michael who called the paramedics, was it not? Mike or my mom, one or the other. Were you passed out at that time in the bathroom? No. Uh, all right. From March of 2000. He made up trying to get into my house. Uh, did you use heroin after March of 2015? Yeah, thanks to Mike. He's the one that got it for me the first time. Uh, did you start stealing money from Mike? No. Mike gave you money? Mike bought, he bought it for me every day. He would bring home a gram of heroin. My question is, you stole money from Mike, correct? Objection. No, I didn't. Did you steal property or money from your mother? I was asked, yes. And, and about this time, did your mom become aware of your heroin use? Yes. And did she cut you off financially? Objection. Yes. She cut me off when when she came over and found Mike in the house, which was before the drugs. Okay. Did you start running the streets, doing some panhandling to get money for your hair? Every now and then, yes. Did you involve yourself in other illegal activities in order to get money? Other than panhandling. And this is a time when you were still actively using drugs. Is that fair to say? And when you use drugs, you, you do acts or you commit acts that are not in your nature normally. Is that fair? Yes. And you become loud and, and violent at times, yes? No, I don't become violent. I've never had a violent nature. Uh, and, and Michael called the police in May, I think May 29th of 2015, because of your behavior. Right, and so did I. I called the police and told them Michael was going to kill me, and I needed help. Okay, what? But the detective did nothing about it, so here I am.
The two's relationship became very volatile. Judy once called her mom asking for help because Mike had refused to leave her house. Bonnie said, I rushed to her house where I met Mike for the first time. He seemed really arrogant. I told him to leave or I'd call the police, but he sauntered around like he owned the place. And Mike didn't leave until police arrived and forced him to. And Bonnie was devastated when she found out that Mike had been given Judy painkillers when he knew about her previous addiction problems. But Judy made the decision to go back to rehab, saying that she didn't want Mike to control her anymore. Bonnie would later find out that Mike was bipolar and diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder, which is described as having overreactions to altercations. Not only that, but he had a lengthy criminal record that included eight felonies and a charge of sexual battery. Judy would later describe the events that took place on August 2nd, 2015. On that day, Judy was supposed to check into rehab and Michael drove her to the facility. At first, Mike led everyone to believe that what happened next was a horrible accident, and he maintained that for some time, saying that he loved his future wife very much. His lawyers even told reporters later that Mike had sustained injuries himself and was in a wheelchair because he had tried to save Judy. But there were witnesses to what happened next that could corroborate Judy's version of events, that Mike had set her on fire, and it wasn't an accident. I want to talk to you about uh, Sunday, August 2nd, 2015. Do you recall that day? August 2nd, 2015, yes, I do. Okay. Uh, and on that day, were you with Mr. Slager? Yes. And uh, where uh, where were you with him? Uh, well, we had went a couple places, but uh, he had me to... He went after leaving the rehab center. Okay. Let's talk about that for a minute. After leaving the rehab center, we're talking about Parkside Drug Rehab? Yes. Okay. Uh, and uh, it was the plan to check you in there, correct? Yes. Uh, but you weren't ready to go. Is that fair to say? Sure. Did you have some things you wanted to do before you went? Yes. Uh, did those things include talking to your children that we saw earlier? Yes. And talking to your mother? Yes. And how about getting some cigarettes? Yes. Okay. Uh, you're, you're, you smoke cigarettes, correct? Yes. At least you did. I used to. <laughs> uh, and uh, you smoke a particular brand, correct? Yes. What was that brand? Well, black reds. Okay. Um, and you were out of them on August 2nd, 2015, correct? Yes. Uh, they let you smoke cigarettes in Parkside Rehab? Yes, they do. Okay. Uh, and so you needed to take some with you? Yes. So when you were with, with Mr. Slager, you indicated that the two of you stopped at Speedway. What, what did you stop there for? Yes, cigarettes. Did both of you go in to get cigarettes, or did no. only, who went in? He did. We were arguing back and forth. Either one of us were very happy with each other. Okay. And what did you do when he went in to Speedway to buy cigarettes? Well, he was extremely upset with me, so 
I tried to sneak out of the truck and around behind the speedway building. Okay, and this is the speedway at 376 Agler Road, right? Yes. So you, while he went inside, you got out of the truck and went behind that speedway. There's a bank there, right? Yes. Uh, and uh, what happened as you uh, stood behind that speedway? Um, Mike came in a matter of no time at all around in his truck. Uh, he saw me and immediately slammed the truck to the park, got out, demanded that I got into the truck with him, called me all sorts of names. Uh, we argued for the five to ten minutes and then I threw my pop on him. You threw a pop he, on him? Yes. Uh, did you splash it on him or actually throw the cup at him? I threw the cup at him. Okay, and this cup, was it uh, a hard plastic or paper or what was it made out of? I believe it was a styrofoam cup. Okay. Um, uh, did the drink get on him? Yes. What was his reaction to this? was extremely upset. And what did he do? He ran around to the other side of his truck and he got his uh, 16 ounces of gasoline that he had cut on the back of his truck. Uh, it was a really big and had a lot of gas. He ran around to me and started pouring gasoline, started up my head and worked his way down. Some got in my throat as he did that. That burnt really bad. The gasoline in your throat burnt really bad? Yes. And uh, what, what happened as a result of having this gasoline poured on you? He then set me on fire. Well, let's slow down a little bit. Before that, uh, were you, did you remain standing or were you standing when he poured the gasoline on you? No. When he poured the gasoline on you, were you standing? No. Go ahead and tell us what, how you were when, when he poured the gasoline on you. I fell down and I was leaning on my right side, holding myself with my right arm in here. Okay. So did you fall down as a result of that burning sensation from the gasoline? No. Okay. What caused you to fall down? I fell, well, I fell down completely the rest of the way. But I originally had fell down because I mean, he had pushed me. I tripped when I was running from him. Okay, you tripped? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, when you trip and you're falling and, and you're laying there holding yourself up on one hand, uh, and he's pouring gasoline on you. What's his demeanor as he's pouring the gasoline on you? Evil, just completely evil. He's not he's not responding to any of my cries for help. He won't tell me why. He just says, like, you want to throw something on somewhere. You want to throw a cop on me. See what I'll do to you, bitch. And, how do you like this? And just all sorts of longer names. Okay. So Judy, was, was this a joking demeanor? You poured something on me, I'm going to no. pour something on you. Ha ha, isn't this funny? No, it was an evil demeanor. Okay. 
Uh, and um, after he poured the gasoline on you, um, what happens next? He backed away from me for about 30 seconds and I kept telling him, so please help me and stop and I'll get, I'll get the truck, I'll go with you. You know, um, why, how, why would you do this? And I looked at him and he pulled a lighter out of his pocket and he started walking towards me and I just remember crying and begging for help and he let me on fire and the look in his eyes were, his eyes went back literally after I was set on fire and he backed away, his eyes just turned black as I screamed for his help. Okay. He did nothing. Okay, so this entire time you're asking for help, uh, but did you make up with him? in any way during these 30 seconds between him pouring gasoline on you and pulling out the lighter and setting you on fire? No. And uh, did you at any time produce a cigarette and ask for a light? No. Okay. A matter of fact, did you have any cigarettes on you? No. Okay. At some point, Mike located a fire extinguisher and put the fire out, but not before Judy suffered immensely. She would later describe the moment that she was set on fire. Judy, tell me how that moment felt when you were ignited. It felt horrible. I don't think words can describe what it feels like to have your whole body set on fire. I can remember the fire out of my face and eyes. I can remember screaming for help. I remember looking over and seeing him just standing there staring at me with the look in his face that was just like I keep saying over and over again, pure evil, like there's no other words to describe it. My whole body felt like the worst burn you could ever feel in your life. Okay. And it stung and it was like a thousand needles going in, a thousand hot needles penetrating my body. I, I guess that's the best way I can explain it. And I just remember, like I said, begging him to help, pleading for any help, trying to get the fire off my face, eventually burying my face in the grass and walking around. And then um, I got to the point where I couldn't see anything and everybody's voices were sounding far away. I could tell there was definitely somebody around, but I couldn't hear them or make you out. I thought for sure I was dying. I just prayed to Jesus to please forgive me for my sins and to take care of my children. And, if you're enjoying this podcast and want to hear more full-length episodes, mini episodes, and more, then check out the Murder Podcast Patreon fan club. Not only will you be getting bonus content, but a portion of the proceeds will be donated to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Check it out at patreon.com slash the murder podcast or use the link in the show notes.
Judy was burned severely, with over 70% of her body covered in fourth-degree burns, and she wasn't expected to survive. Doctors believed that she would die within a matter of hours, days at best. Let's talk about your hospital experience. Um, are, uh, you've been hospitalized ever since this incident in various hospitals uh, around Columbus, correct? That's correct. Uh, do you know how many surgeries you've had? Over 50. Uh, and you're aware that uh, you have coded seven times, correct? Yes. Uh, can you tell me about the pain that you live with? I can tell you or describe how it feels. Waking up is a horrible thing. You wake up feeling the same way every day. They say it gets a little better as time goes by, but it's one thing heals, another thing hurts. So I uh, I have to push myself to make it through every day. I have to really tell myself why I'm doing this, and I have to I have to just That day, Judy's mom, Bonnie, received a phone call from Ohio State University saying that Judy had been in an accident and was on life support. She said, nothing could have prepared me for what I saw when I got to the hospital. My beautiful daughter was unrecognizable and in an induced coma. Her thick blonde hair was gone and she'd lost her eyelashes and eyebrows too. Judy's mom, Bonnie, shared pictures of Judy immediately following the attack. The pictures are incredibly graphic and hard to process, but it shows an unrecognizable Judy receiving medical treatment in the ambulance and then at the hospital. Nearly all of her hair had been burned off, and nearly her entire body was raw. Her left hand was completely disfigured, and it appeared that she had lost most of her fingers in the attack. Bonnie said, I couldn't get my head around what had happened. I told Judy's daughters that their mom had been hurt by a very bad man and that I'd look after them. Judy underwent 60 surgeries and skin grafts during her treatment and seven months later woke from her coma. She had lost her ears, fingers, and most of her eyesight, could not walk, and could barely speak. But Mike's defense was that the fire was an accident. In January of 2017, still covered in burns from her attack, Judy was finally able to speak out about what happened on that horrific day on August 2nd, 2015, and how she was able to tell her story was incredible in itself. 
She was deposed by prosecutors while in her hospital room via video conference. In order to avoid any future objections, Judy weaned herself off of her pain medication so that no one could doubt that she was of sound mind when she testified. That meant that she endured an excruciating amount of pain, not just on the day that she testified, but for weeks leading up to her testimony. Although she couldn't remember all of the details from that day, she did remember most of it and shared those awful memories with the courtroom. The audio clips that you've heard previously in this episode are from that deposition. And as you could tell, even her throat was damaged in the attack, making her voice just a little above a whisper. Throughout her many surgeries and treatments, Judy was aware that she would likely succumb to her injuries at some point. It was a miracle that she had even lived at all after the violent attack, and Judy knew this. While Judy remained in the hospital fighting to live, Mike was charged with aggravated arson, possession of criminal tools, and assault, but he pleaded no contest. He was sentenced to 11 years in prison, which was the maximum sentence possible for those charges. But then, in June of 2017, at just 33 years old, 700 days after the attack and six months after her deposition, Judy passed away from complications from her burns. The charges against Mike, who was now 43 years old, were then upgraded to aggravated murder. Judy Malinowski fought to stay alive for nearly 700 days after her ex-boyfriend set her on fire. Now there is a new push to put her attacker behind bars for life months after Judy died. Tonight, NBC4 Learning, the autopsy results show Judy Malinowski's death is a result of her being set on fire. Franklin County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien told NBC4 his office is taking the necessary steps to pursue aggravated murder charges against her boyfriend, Michael Slager. The images of this mother were too hard for some to see. Authorities say Slager set Malinowski on fire outside of a Gahanna gas station back in August 2015. A Franklin County judge allowed Malinowski to tape a deposition from her hospital bed just in case she died from her injuries. The young mother endured 59 surgeries but was finally moved to a care center in May 2000. 2017. She died just a month later. Slager was sentenced to prison where he still maintains this was all an accident. Following Malinowski's death, her 13-year-old daughter, Kaylin, said, quote, well, he got 11 years. My mom, my sister, and I all got life sentences. The trial gained a lot of attention in April of 2018 when a judge ruled that Judy's video testimony would be allowed as evidence in his trial allowing a murder victim to essentially testify against her killer in court, something that's unheard of. Rick Simmons, a professor at Ohio State University, told People Magazine, The judge's decision was unusual, if not unique, because you had a witness whom everyone knew there was a good chance might not survive until trial, and so the prosecutor set up an entire formal deposition for her. It's rare that a prosecutor will know that far in advance that, his or her witness will not be around for trial. In most cases involving hearsay, which is testimony made outside of the courtroom, in hospitals, the witness is imminently dying, and so the prosecutor needs to get a record of the testimony quickly. There's no time to set up a deposition and schedule the defense attorney to come in and cross-examine. He went on to say, I think the judge got it right. I think this is information that should be preserved for trial. It's legitimate discovery information, legitimate way to preserve testimony, and it's protected by cross-examination, and the jury can see the witness on video. 
As stated before, Mike maintained that the fire was an accident and even wanted to appeal Judy's tape deposition. However, his defense advised him against that. They believed that if he did appeal it, he risked a significant chance of receiving the death penalty. They figured that his best choice was to take a plea deal. Bonnie said that even after going through that ordeal, Judy never wanted Michael to receive the death penalty. All she wanted was for Mike to confess his crime and accept a life of imprisonment. Bonnie said Judy wanted Michael to not face the death penalty, and her hope was that he would find God somewhere between now and when he meets her again. That was her hope, and that's pretty generous of her. In the end, Mike did accept a plea deal in exchange for the death penalty being taken off the table. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. At his plea hearing, he apologized to both his and Judy's family for what he had put them through, saying, I'd like to apologize to your family for the pain I've caused you, and I'd like to apologize to my family for what I put you guys through. Bonnie said that she just hopes that her story is a warning to women who are in abusive relationships. She is now raising Judy's two daughters and has dedicated her life to them and to raising awareness about domestic violence. Judy's oldest daughter was just 13 years old at the time of Mike's sentencing and spoke to NBC4 after testifying before the committee about Judy's law. Her daughter spoke on her behalf. It was an emotional day for the 13-year-old who told that committee in her own words that while the man who committed the crime got 11 years, her mom, sister, and she got a life sentence. She also said how when he gets out of prison, she will be 22 then, and no one knows if and when he will hurt again. I spoke with Kaylin today, and she says it wasn't easy to speak in front of all those adults, but that she did it because she knows it would make her mom happy. She means a lot to me. She's really special, and she's funny, and she's pretty, and she looks just like me. Now, I look just like her. Bonnie told reporters that while it will never bring Judy back, I want to help just one woman to escape the clutches of evil, remember the red flags, and get out of that relationship. Bonnie said that when Judy saw herself in the mirror for the first time, she vowed to help other women, and she did just that. Now, in the state of Ohio, attackers who use accelerants to intentionally disfigure their victims now face an additional six years in prison for crimes that result in the victim being permanently disfigured. Governor John Kasich was so moved by this story that he vowed to take a look at the existing domestic violence laws to determine if they are comprehensive enough. He said, maybe there's more that we can do. Maybe there's more we can do to think about how we can provide a safe haven, not just a safe haven, but a wonderful haven and incubator to grow women into all they can be, because without them, we are missing. We are not complete. Judy's oldest daughter testified before that Senate committee in 2017 at just 13 years old and told the committee, my mom, sister, and I all got a life sentence. While we stand here today, my mom lays in a hospital bed where she has been for 689 days. Judy passed away before the law, Judy's law, was enacted. If you or someone you know is the victim of domestic violence, please contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or online at thehotline.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. 
You can find all of the show notes and more information about this podcast at themurderpodcast.com. That's the murder, M-H-E-R-D-E-R, podcast.com.